So how many in this place have had a storm this last week in their lives? Can I just see a quick, anybody had a storm? Okay, so there are a couple of you who had storms. We heard in men's prayer meeting on Sunday, on Wednesday, uh, Friday morning, about someone's storm that's been going on for about 13 years that was resolved this week. <laughs> we just blessed the Lord together. So some of you have had storms that have lasted the day. Some have had storms that have kind of come up this week and been blowing like crazy. And we all have these storms from time to time, sometimes emotional, sometimes financial, sometimes physical. Sometimes they just seem for in jail. We don't know what's wrong, you know. Uh, we just don't feel good. Uh, things aren't going well. My life is just not working like it should be working. And sometimes these storms fly in the face of teaching that I've picked up over time. And hopefully you wouldn't have picked it up in this church. But certainly by reading magazine articles and, and some books and listening to some people on television, you think that you should live a wonderful life all the time. I mean, everything's always hunky-dory. Life is full, you know. We, we live an abundant life. So there must always be an abundance of health, an abundance of wealth, an abundance of this, an abundance of the next thing. And when it doesn't work like that, because it doesn't work like that, then we start questioning our own faith. You know, am I even saved? And um, I don't have enough faith because that guy on TV, he seems to have everything right all the time, and I don't. And then I start feeling like these storms are not what they should be. But it's not just like that. Life has storms. Jesus' disciples find themselves in a literal storm of terrifying proportions, which we're going to look at today for some comfort and some lessons to learn. If you've gone to Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5 and saw it wasn't about the storm, you're right, it isn't about the storm. It's verse 23. So if you go to Matthew chapter 8 verse 23, that's an incorrect thing. I think that's last week's uh, lesson that we learned. Okay, let's find it. Matthew 8, I'm reading from verse 23. Uh, why are we not going anywhere here yet? There we go. Still not. Hmm. Sorry, we're just waiting for the um, scripture to come up on the board. There we go. Then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning. Isn't that how our storms very often come? Without warning. Without warning, we lose a loved one. Without warning, COVID hits and our businesses collapse. Without warning, um, illness strikes. Without warning, these storms often come without warning. So they got into the boat. Jesus' disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so 
afraid. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Lord, we commit the story to you. We can commit it to your spirit to interpret to us lessons that we can learn from these disciples, from you being in the boat with them, and their response to you. Lord, teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Now, we find the same story in Mark chapter 8, uh, Mark chapter 4, and again in Luke chapter 8. Uh, very similar, there aren't any contradictory um, thoughts like, we, like I explained, might have, we might have thought of the last week's story. Basically, in all three stories, Jesus, the disciples follow Jesus into the boat. There's this big storm that arises, they're terrified, and he gets up and he calms the sea. Well, it's not really a sea, it's actually a lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee. We know it as such, but it's actually the lowest freshwater lake on earth. It's the second lowest lake in the world, the lowest one being the Dead Sea, though that we know is not freshwater. There actually is another lake that's lower. It's called the Vostok Lake. It lies under the eastern Antarctic ice sheet. It's about four kilometers under the ice, and it lands itself at 500 meters below sea level. So, in effect, nobody can get there. They, I think a couple of years ago they drilled through just to check that that water was freshwater lake, but uh, it's not something you can see visibly. Anyway, so here we are in the, se the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Talking about lakes, I don't know if you heard the story of that uh, lady who phones her, her husband one day and says, darling, I've got a real problem. And he says, what is it? She says, the car won't start. He says, oh no, that's terrible. What's wrong? So she says, it's the carburetor. It's full of water. So he says, no, my darling. He says, you don't even know what a carburetor is. Uh, he says, hang on a second, I'll be there as soon as I can. He says, where is the car at the moment? She says, it's in the lake. <laughs> it was the carburetor, don't underestimate the wives. <laughs> anyway, so the Sea of Galilee, or more accurately known today as the Lake of Tiberias, or Kinneret, is found in northeastern Israel between the Golan Heights and the Galilee. It's in the region of the Jordan Rift Valley, which uh, the clever people, geologists, tell us was caused by the separation of the African and Arabian, Arabian plates. It's 215 meters below sea level. It's about 13 kilometers wide, 21 kilometers long. And if you want to walk all the way around, it'll take you 53 kilometers. Not very deep. It's about 43 meters deep at its deepest spot. However... It's subject to these sudden and violent storms as the cool wind blows over the eastern mountains and it meets the warm air that's over the lake rising and the cool air begins to descend. It results in these uh, furious hurricane-like squalls and storms as experienced in Jesus' day. And if you want to go onto YouTube and just Google storms on the Sea of Galilee, you'll see these amazing visuals of these massive storms that just out of nowhere just pop up and uh, here comes this massive squall. 
If you're struggling with any storm today, and if you've been struggling with any storm this week, I want to share some lessons that I've pulled out of you, and there are probably many more, and I'll just share four quick ones with you. As I said, I've been through a few storms the last while. December was miserable. I thought I was going home. I really did. I didn't think I was going to come back from the UK. I was so sick. And then I got better. I never got my strength back. And then I got COVID again. And then I'm just getting over COVID and I'm playing with my grandkids last weekend. The whole week I've been so sick. It's just been miserable. It's just like one thing on top of the next thing and you start asking questions and you start doubting and you start finding yourself being tossed about on this boat of life there, that there just seems to be no end. And I'm just sharing this with you, not for you to feel sorry for me by any means, but to let you know that the one who's supposed to have a little bit of faith sometimes feels like he's losing faith in the midst of these storms that we've got. And to throw all of that in, the emotional trauma of our family issues, it sometimes just piles up on top. So today's message is for me. Lesson number one, in life the storm is mandatory. If you're alive, you're going to have storms. We live on a stormy planet among stormy people. We live in a planet that's fallen. We live in a, in a system that's fallen. So life is going to throw storms at us, very often unexpectedly. This is the setup, you see, for us as believers. When Jesus got into the boat, the Bible says the disciples followed him. If you want to follow Jesus... Listen to me this morning. You can expect a storm in life. Not just a storm. You can expect a life of storms. And no matter what book you've been reading, no matter what the televangelist says, there is no guarantee in the Scripture of an easy life for Christ followers. Quite the contrary, in fact. Even the presentation today of the gospel, as I look, and I don't spend much time anymore, but just seeing what's going on in the world because I become so disheartened. The presentation of the gospel goes like this. You know, come to Jesus and all your problems will be sorted out. Come as you are. Even that is false. You can't come as you are. You come as a repentant sinner. You can't come near the kingdom until you've repented. That's the bottom line. I'm not saying your life's going to be perfect, but you can't get to the kingdom unless you repent. But the gospel today is presented like, you know, just pray these four spiritual laws or just do this or just do that and you're saved, you're born again. No, 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 no. It's not like that at all. Following Jesus costs, and it doesn't just cost a little, it costs everything. Luke chapter 14, as Jesus is discussing this topic of hating your father and mother, and he wasn't talking about literally hating, but he was saying, you've got to love me more than anything. He says, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And that's in the context of telling people they need to carry their cross. They need to die to themselves daily if they want to follow him. 
So I'm telling you here today, it might not be good news to your ears, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've got into the boat with him, expect the storm. It's going to come. Because we're his followers, we will have storms. Now, everybody in the world has storms. I mean, everybody has a brutal life in some sense. It's, the earth is fallen. It's for everyone. However, as believers, herein lies the difference. We can follow those through those storms, knowing the peace of God in the midst of them. We can ride in that boat without waking Jesus up. See, the ultimate is not that he takes us out of the storm, but that he gets us through it. <laughs> and we do it knowing an abundance of life when we do that. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that you can have life in the midst of the storm. John 16, in this world you will have trials and tribulations. You're going to have them. But Jesus said, when you have them, you can have life. So this is my question to myself this week. Have I got life in the midst of the crises that I'm, the challenges that I'm facing? Do I know life? Am I enjoying life in abundance? And to your shame, I confess today, not always. Why? Because my focus sometimes slips. When my daughter's been abused, my focus slips to the power of my fist. <laughs> you know, I want to take matters into my own hands. <laughs> you know what it's like. So when the mandatory storms come, am I seeking my full, abundant life in Christ? Or do I dip into the gutter again? And that word for life in the Greek is the word zoe, which is life in its absolute sense, in the God sense. It's the life that God had. It's the life that Jesus had. It's the life that Jesus manifested on this earth. The life that was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was a fullness of life. And that's what he promises us. This passage I refer to every now and then just makes so much more sense in the context of our storms of life. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Did I consider it joy? No, I got the moans. You know? Have you considered it joy? As you're sitting in your storm at the moment, you feel like the boat is going down. You've never seen a storm as bad as you've seen it now. Do you consider it pure joy? I mean, the implication is, the bigger the storm, the more the joy. That's how much we should be trusting the Savior. But to my shame, that's not always how I behave. We know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Jesus didn't want to calm that storm. He could have calmed the storm. He didn't want to do that. He did it for his disciples. He wanted them to ride that storm, knowing he was in the boat. So the miracle is not in the calming of the storm as much as it would have been if the disciples had got to the other side through the storm. That would have been a bigger miracle. Perseverance must finish its work. Why? So you may be mature and complete, 
not lacking anything. That's what Jesus was after. He knew there was going to be a storm. He probably caused the storm, you know. He was there. He never left them. Life is hard. It's not, if it's not hard now, it's going to be sometime. And that's not that we live in a place of, oh, what's coming next? We don't live like that. We live in the fullness of life. And if the next comes, and if a storm comes, then our focus doesn't falter away from Jesus. So the storm, friends, is mandatory. And if you're a disciple, we have, we've, we've got an advantage. We can know a fullness of life in the midst of that storm. Amen. Amen. Lesson number two for me was when Jesus is silent, don't panic. And it's amazing how often when the storm comes, he seems silent. And it seems that the bigger the storm, the more silent he becomes. <laughs> Have you found that? It's just what it seems like. I, I, here's Jesus fast asleep in the boat. But you know what? He's still in control of the situation. It seems like he's quiet. My prayers are going nowhere. They're hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. They're not being answered. The word's not working. It just doesn't seem to be happening for me. I'm telling you something. When he's silent, he is still in control. He is always in control. It seems like he's asleep. It seems like he's deserted you. But you know what? He's right there in the boat with you. What is your storm today? Maybe you should just take a minute to say, thank you, Lord. You're in my boat. <laughs> He's in your boat. He didn't jump off and go walking somewhere else. He's there, even if he feels asleep. This God we serve, our Father in heaven, the one the Apostle Paul in writing to the church of Ephesus says in Ephesians 3, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. This God who requires worship in spirit and truth, he never takes his eyes off us, ever. He never abandons us, no matter how big those waves are. And whether I'm just waiting to gulp my last breath of water before I drown or not, he is still there in the boat with me. Psalm 121 says, he will, never, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It seems like he's asleep, but he's still in control. To his disciples that day, Jesus was asleep on the boat, but he was still in control. The one who never slumbers and sleeps, he was still in control. He has further promised he will never abandon us, leave us alone, discard us. The disciples felt abandoned. They were panicking like crazy, but Jesus was there even though he was quiet. Even though he appeared disengaged from them, he was still there. As, as Ezekiel finishes off his, his vision with the name Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. 
What's your storm today? Listen to the words of God. I am Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I don't know how these money preachers get away with a scripture like this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content with what God has given you. Be content with what's in your hands. Why? Because God said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Sonny, amen. amen. <laughs> what can man do to me? He can concoct stories. He can make up all sorts of things. He can falsely accuse me. He can do what he likes. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So lesson number two, when he seems silent, don't panic. He's actually in the storm with you, right in your boat where you are. Let me give you a little secret here today. Silence is not a sign of abandonment. It's an invitation to trust. And the quieter God seems in your storm, the bigger the invite is for you to trust him. But Lord, where are you? How can you leave me? <laughs> he hasn't left you. He doesn't want to do what the disciples wanted him to do. Disciples got an immediate short-term solution to the problem. The winds and the waves went down, but it didn't help their faith at all. It didn't help their fear levels at all. Nothing. It didn't solve it. They, never, they, didn't, they didn't pass the test. They never got through that test because they aborted it. Oh, help us, help us, wake us up. You know? He wants to take you through it. He's not there to calm your storm. He does that sometimes. And we get out on the other side and it's calm again. But he doesn't want to calm that storm. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop that perseverance. He wants you to become mature so that you don't lack anything on the other side. Disciples lacked it all when that storm came. He doesn't want us to lack that because we know he's in the boat and he invites us simply to trust him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you with me. Romans chapter, uh, Proverbs 3, we all love this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, it's so easy to trust in the Lord when times are good. <laughs> it's even easy to trust in the Lord when you can make a plan. Get another loan, make, you know. Doesn't say that. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But it's that process of trusting, of trusting, of trusting that we simply have to learn in the midst of the storm. Lesson number three. Faith and fear are always in opposition. Uh, on the board it says, opposition. There should be a 
an eye there somewhere, opposition. Choose only one. See, fear, worry, anxiety, stress, these things are always useless. But a prayer offered in faith is always effective. And fear and faith, they're always against each other. So a prayer offered in fear isn't going to accomplish anything. It's the prayer of faith that accomplishes things. Jesus doesn't bemoan the fact that they've woken him up. I, I would have bemoaned that fact. But he rather challenges their fear, which actually reveals their lack of faith. He challenges their fear. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? I'm here. I'm in the boat. You've seen things of me for how long now? You know, w- what's going on? He never wants us to fear anything except Him. Just think about how many times in the Bible we read things like, do not fear, do not be afraid, don't be anxious for anything. Someone has said there are exactly 365 times in the Scripture, one for each day of the year, that there is a do not be afraid and things like that. I don't know how true that is. But there are lots and lots of times in the Scripture that we read this stuff. Philippians 4, for example, Paul's sitting in a jail, chained between Roman soldiers. He's got the indignity of going to the loo just where he is. He doesn't see the light of day. Everything is going wrong. It's a storm a lot bigger than anything you and I have ever been and will ever experience. And he writes these words, or has them written, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. What's your storm? How's your storm compared to the Apostle Paul's storm when he's writing this? I mean, he's, he's he's got no hope out of this, got no way out of this thing. Falsely accused, death sentence looming. I mean, all sorts of things going wrong. Everything's gone wrong in his life, and he's serving the Lord. I'm doing the right thing. I wasn't like that person. I'm not like this one. I'm not like the next one. Lord, you know, me, I try hard to do the right thing. I mean, nobody was doing more right than the Apostle Paul was doing. But his storm is bigger than ours will ever be. Rejoice in the Lord always, he writes. (laughs) I say it again if you didn't get it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, and therein lay his secret, knowing that the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a promise for your storm. Are you focused on your storm? I know when you've been in a storm for a long time, your focus starts to shift. Doubt starts to enter your heart and mind. You know, your peace starts to leak away. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because the Lord is near. In my storm, He's near. I can rejoice because He's near. He's right here with me. When I do that with that kind of trust, the peace of God that transcends all understanding 
will guard my heart and mind. It's a promise. See, this is what goes wrong. As, um, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart, the psalmist prays. Test me and know my what? Anxious thoughts. Didn't take much for the disciples' anxious thoughts to come out. Lord, save us! We're going to drown! After their testing, what is your cry to God in a storm? Lord, I rejoice in your kindness, your goodness, because <laughs> you are near. You'll never abandon me. You'll never forsake me. You'll never walk away from me. You will never give up on me. Lord, I trust in you. See, that psalm, the psalmist actually recognizes anxious thoughts as sin. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. When we get into anxiety and stress and fear and worry and all of these things, in actual fact, we're slipping over into the realm of sin. Because it's exactly the opposite to what God offers us. He says, do not be afraid. We choose to be afraid. We're choosing against what God commands us to do or not to do. We're in a place of sinfulness. So maybe for some of us, like I've had to do this week, is repent of our sin. Forgive me, God, for my anxious thoughts. Forgive me for getting so caught up in my storm that I've forgotten that you're right here in the boat with me. And even if the boat goes down, you go down with me. <laughs> Ask Jonah about going into the water when he thought there was no way further than the boat. God's always got a plan. He will never abandon you. This thing is true, though. Fear and faith simply cannot exist. And that's what Jesus points out to his disciples. So choose one today. Last little thought this morning. Looking back can help us through what we're going through now. When we, do, we don't look back at the bad and all the horrible stuff that's happened, but we do look back at his faithfulness. We do remind ourselves of the last storm he brought us through. After Jesus calmed the storm, the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. They were utterly amazed. They marveled. They were astonished. Sometimes when we're going through a storm, we've got to remind ourselves of the last time we were amazed. We were astonished. The last time he healed me. The last time he rescued me. The last time he brought me through a storm, whatever storm that was. Unfortunately, as human beings, we too live in the now. And we so often forget what's gone before and what God has done and what God can do. And in our fickleness, we often very quickly forget his kindness and those uh, times he's helped us through his commitment towards us. So when you find ourselves in a storm, and if you're in a storm today, take a few minutes just to think about the last storm. Remind yourself that God brought you through that, that he'll bring you through this. The psalmist says the same thing as he says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the works or wonders he has done. Remember his miracles. 
Remember the judgments he has pronounced if you're needing justice in a situation. Kind of covers everything. Just remember how he's helped you before. He will help you again. He is a faithful God. It's not based upon anything I can do or say or be or anything else. It's based upon him, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness. I love this Lamentations passage. Yet I call this, I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Friend, what is your storm today? Call his goodness to mind. Know the hope that comes from that. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say to myself. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is in this boat, on this boat with me. The Lord is in my storm with me. Therefore, I will wait for him. Amen. Storm as a believer is mandatory. What's also mandatory or very possible is to ride those storms in the fullness of his life. When Jesus is silent, don't panic. View it as an invitation to trust him. Faith and fear are always in opposition. Just choose only one of those. In your storm right now, in the next storm that comes, just choose faith over fear. And while you're going through that storm, looking back, reminding yourself of God's grace the last time will help you through. I want you to close your eyes, especially for those who are in a storm Right now, listen to what God says to you, and I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 41. Hear the, the words of God in your storm today. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you.